Thanks for listening in today to our Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Let's go to Luke chapter 3, verse 10, as we continue through the book of Luke. Now last week, we kind of left off with uh, John sensing that those in the crowd weren't really sincere in their uh, coming out for repentance, his baptism of repentance. John is uh, out there, and his message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Make way for the coming of the Lord, and if you really believe this, it will be seen in your actions. And so uh, he sees some of the people coming out, and he doesn't believe that everybody's sincere, and so he actually calls them brood of vipers. You want to grow a church? Call the people snakes. See how that works out for you. But But John didn't care about numbers or anything else. He cared about the sincerity of heart. And so he told him, he says, look, if you're really coming out to receive this message which I say, which speaks of when I baptize you in water, you are identifying with the message that you need to get your hearts right with God, that you've just been going through the motions, and you know your heart isn't right with God because the Messiah is is coming, then be baptized right now. And so they would be baptized. And then he goes on to tell them, and this is how we're going to know that this is true, that you're actually sincere. It's going to be seen in your actions. And he says, bear fruits of repentance. And so here in verse 10, the people are kind of asking, okay, what kind of would that be? And so it says in verse 10 here, so the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. You know, when Jesus was at what is the greatest commandment, what is it that he said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. If you truly love God, you will love others. If you truly love God, you're not going to allow for people around you to go uh, in need. And so you're going to help them in those things. That's a fruit truly born of repentance. And so then he has a tax collector. He says, and then the tax collectors, plural, so more than one, also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed to you. See, tax collectors were the most hated people in society because what Rome would do, whatever province they were in, they would get the, the people that were indigenous to the area to collect taxes for them. So these are Jews that are collecting taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans who are the occupiers there of their nation. They didn't like that. And so they certainly don't like Jews helping Rome. They were looked at as treasonous. And so, uh, so they were truly hated. And here's the thing about tax collectors. Not only did, did they collect the taxes for Rome, they would line their own pockets. They would charge more than they were supposed to. And Rome didn't care about that. So long as they weren't skimming from Rome, they turned a blind eye to that. And so they would skim from their own people and extort from them. The reason we know that is because of what John says, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And so that's a great way to show that you've changed, okay? If you're a thief here this morning and the Lord touches your heart and you give your life to the Lord, hopefully after today, you won't go around burglarizing other people's homes. That's how you can tell A change has taken place. There's a difference there. And then he tells the soldiers here. And likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, what shall we do? And I love this. Because 
Jesus himself said this about John the Baptist. He said, I say to you, among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. A prophet is a mouthpiece from God. So what John says here is from God. And the thing that I like to point out here, as well as other areas of Scripture, and I will fight this to my dying day, is that I'm here to tell you Jesus was not a pacifist. When ministers teach that, I want to just smack them upside the head, which tells you I'm not a pacifist either, okay? <laughs> if Jesus was a pacifist, if God was a pacifist by nature, then he would have said, oh, as a soldier, drop your arms and don't be a soldier anymore. Because a soldier in that day and age, if they aren't out at war and they're just in the province of Judea or wherever they might be, they are a police force is what they are to keep the peace, And so I'm a Denver police chaplain, and when they have an academy of new recruits come through, they will let me uh, go and speak to them, and I try and share with them how their calling of being a police officer, according to Romans 13, is an actual calling from God, and that they are not to lay down their arms. But this is what John says that they are to do, being a mouthpiece from God. He says to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. So just because you're a police officer and now you have a gun and a baton and everything else, don't be going around bullying people and intimidating people. And they don't like this next part. But then I tell them, and be content with your wages. Cops don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that because they all grumble that they're not being paid enough. And I said, you aren't being paid enough for what you do. That's just a given. But you already know that going in. You already know how much you're going to make. So... Don't be grumbling about it later on. Be content with your wages. Don't take bribes and don't falsely accuse anyone. And if all police officers would do that, they would all be awesome cops. They really would if they would just listen to the words here. And so if you're really repentive, you're going to show fruits of repentance and it will be seen in your actions. Now, in verse 15, it says, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Now, remember, John was filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb, Elizabeth, and then born and groomed by the Spirit for 30 years out in the wilderness. And then he's led by the Spirit to prepare the way of the Lord. And so his words are awesome. The way he preaches is powerful because they're anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so when he comes preaching and saying the words that he's saying, they are just overpowered by this. And they're going, is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? And John knows what they're thinking here. And so what he has to say next takes away any doubt that he is not the Messiah. When he puts, he he will put all such thoughts to rest when he says this in verse 16. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but there is one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All ministers need to hear this. No matter how successful your ministry is, how many people are coming, matters not. You need to understand that I don't care how great of a minister you are, none of us are worthy to even loosen the strap of the Savior's sandal. Here you have John the Baptist. The multitudes are coming out to be baptized him by the Jordan River. And he says he's not even worthy to perform even the most humble act of a servant upon Christ because that was the lowest slave's responsibility in a household to remove the master's sandal. He says, I'm not even qualified to do that. 
he's putting in a proper perspective of the one who is coming after him. And he is superior. Jesus is um, the the superiority of Jesus, the person is matched by the superiority of Jesus' ministry. And John makes that very clear. I baptize with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The superiority is obvious. When we are baptized externally with water, that's not the same as being baptized with the Spirit internally. Exteriorly, the water baptism, you're being baptized with water, and it just shows, it symbolizes a cleansing that goes on the outside. But actually, the real cleansing happens on the inside. You could be baptized with water and not be baptized in the Spirit. And you can be baptized in the Spirit without being baptized by water. We see that in, uh, in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his household. The Spirit comes upon them. And it's then that Peter says, let's baptize them in water after the Spirit comes upon them. Baptism does not save you, okay? Baptism does not save you. Baptism is an outward symbol an outward declaration of an inward transformation or commitment in your faith in Jesus. It's there to let everybody else know that you believe in Jesus Christ. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. It's 100% necessary for obedience because God's word tells us to be baptized. And so that is why we are baptized. Remember, we went over this last week that baptism speaks of identification, that the Jews were baptizing people long before Christianity showed up. And so baptism means identification. You're identifying with the message that is being given. And so you want a cleansing. You want a fresh start. And so that's why people are coming to John the Baptist. They believe in his message. You know what? My heart isn't right. It's not ready to receive the coming Messiah. I do need to repent. And so they're agreeing with his message, and that's why his was a baptism of repentance. When we are baptizing, we are what we are saying is I identify according to Romans chapter 6, we are told it's symbolic of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So when I am baptized, I'm in agreement, I'm identifying with the message that is being preached that Dave, you're a sinner in need of a savior. A savior has been given, it's the person of Jesus Christ. And he has died for your sin, so you don't have to. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe that, God. I receive Jesus. Now, go and show people those fruits of repentance. This is right here showing what I believe. I get baptized now. And I identify with Jesus hanging on the cross. My sin put him there. He goes down in the grave. And he's raised up three days later. I also identify with that, that my old man, my old sin that put him on there also went with Jesus down in the grave. So I go under the water. And so just like he came up conquering death to walk a newness of life, I also come up as a conqueror of death through him to walk in newness of life. I identify with that message. And so outward baptism, not necessary for salvation, 100% necessary for obedience in your walk with him. So 
We had a baptism in the summer out in the park. We will have another baptism here in the fall on a Wednesday night. So if you have not been baptized, I really encourage and exhort you to be baptized in order to be obedient with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is going to come, but he's going to baptize with spirit and fire. According to Kent Hughes' commentary, he points out that the language of this text, which links spirit and fire with one preposition, which makes it clear that all believers undergo both baptism, spirit and fire, that they both complement one another, that spirit and fire both denote the same divine principle, which makes sense because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for by one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. This is, uh, this is an experience of every believer. Jesus promised every believer that they would be indwelt by the Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, it says this, I will pray to the Father, He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Now, we know according to the Word of God, and I will teach this at a later date as we go through Luke, but just briefly, understand there's three experiences you can have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you, like it says right here. For what reason? To convict you, uh, to convict those who do not believe in Him, meaning Jesus. So before you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's with everyone. To do what? To bring them to the person of Jesus. So He'll bring those obnoxious Christians into your life. <laughs> those family members that have given their lives to the Lord so they could be a light and a witness. It's the Holy Spirit that is prompting you to receive the message that they have there. And then when you do come to know Jesus, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. And that's for all the believers, for spirit and fire, okay? He's going to cleanse you from sin and things like that. And then we're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's another experience of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. For what reason? To be witnesses unto him. That's the reason why he comes upon you. He doesn't come upon you so you fall on your face and bark like a dog. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's another spirit. But it isn't the Holy Spirit. He's not there to make you a fool, and he's not there to bring attention to himself or to you. The Spirit is always there to bring attention to the person of Jesus Christ. And so we'll get more into that at a later date. But I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1 so you can see this. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1... Paul tells us that every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, verse 12, we are told this, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him, meaning Jesus, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is being said there is that once you come to know Jesus, you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's a deposit. It is a guarantee is what that means. 
It is a deposit in you. The Holy Spirit is deposited in you. For what reason? As a seal. Now, here's the thing that they would understand back then that I want to explain to you here. A seal would be um, some sort of uh, 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 wax that is dropped on a piece of paper or a shipment or something like that to where the king would then put his signet ring on it to show that it belongs to him, okay? And then when it gets to its destination, the king can be there to receive what it is that is being shipped to him. And so it shows the seal of the ring and it shows the seal on that whatever it is being shipped to him that it belongs to him. You are that package that has been sealed. You have a destination to make it to heaven, eternity with God. God sees in you the Holy Spirit. That is your seal. So when you die, the Holy Spirit being inside of you, you are going to make it to your destination. He will make sure of that. That deposit has been placed in you. And that deposit is the Holy Spirit. A guarantee for what? Your inheritance. What's your inheritance? Heaven. Spending eternity with God. So the Holy Spirit is inside of you, in spirit and in fire. Now, fire is Old Testament language. In Isaiah 4.4, the Bible says this, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Again, that speaks of a cleansing that's going to go on in Zion, in Jerusalem. And, and the metaphor there is the washing of fire or burning. We also see this in Malachi 3.1, which is so happens to, to be a prophecy that speaks about John the Baptist. And it says this, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, that's speaking of the Messiah, and like a launderer's soap. So that refining fire is a purifying agent. So the Spirit is going to come and fire because one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, conforms you to the image of Christ, cleans you up, changes you, And it's spoken of in the way of fire, because fire has a purifying effect. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I spoke of this when I first came here uh, a few months ago, that we went over this, but I think it bears repeating because of what we're going over here. The Holy Spirit is a refiner's fire, okay? It is there to have a cleansing effect on you. You and I both know when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we don't become super Christian overnight. Did you figure that out already? You know why? Because the Spirit comes inside of you, but God doesn't take away your nature. He doesn't take away your flesh nature. Because the Holy Spirit is now inside of you, for the first time in your life, you have a real battle on your hands. The Spirit is there to now war against the flesh. Before the Spirit was there, there was no war. The flesh won all the time. But now there's a battle. There's a battle. The Holy Spirit is in there. And now He wants to clean you up and He wants to change you. And it's little by little. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And this is how He does it. In 1 Peter 1, verse 6, it says this. And Peter says we're supposed to rejoice in this. So let's, let's see how many of you do that. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved 
by various trials. Who gets grieved by trials? I know I do. The rest of you didn't raise your hand. You're lying. You need to <laughs> repent of that before you leave. Okay? This morning before I left, I was getting all aggravated because my garage door wasn't working. And that was just really annoying. I have this thing with garage doors. They hate me, for one. But we, my wife and I have always had issues with garage doors no matter where we've lived. And uh, this is a, we bought this house brand new 10 years ago, and we have been having issues with our garage door for the last six years. It just is the way it is, you know, and it wouldn't close this morning. I got a little aggravated. But anyway, I've repented, just so you know. Um, and so you've been grieved by various trials. For what reason? That the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. By fire. It's that refiner's fire. It has a purifying effect on you. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In ancient time, a refiner would come along and would melt whatever metal that they had before them, whether it's gold or silver or brass or whatever it might be. And they would melt it to the point where it's liquefied. It's so, the heat is so hot, it liquefies it. And they look in and the impurities will begin to loosen from the, um, uh, from the metal and rise to the surface. And that's called dross. And they would take it and they would scrape the dross off in order to purify that metal. They'd let it cool down. And then they would heat it up again in order to bring forth those impurities. And those impurities are your flesh. And here's the thing. This is how the refiner knew that that metal was purified. When after he heats it up in its liquefied form, he could look down and see his own reflection. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is the refiner. We are that metal. We have impurities in us. And when he looks down on us when we're going through trials and tribulation, and he's able to see himself, you're being purified. But when he looks down the metal and all he sees is Dave, he needs to scrape that off. It'd be really weird if he saw Dave in you, because that just put your own name in there. I'm just talking about me personally. That'd just be creepy. I don't get that. So just me personally, if he's looking at me being heated up and he sees me, he's got to scrape that off. And then I'm going to go through something else. And if he keeps seeing me, he has to scrape it off. I have a friend that um, used the analogy this way. He says, Dave, it's like a uh, cup of coffee. And the coffee in the cup is actually your flesh. And so as we're growing in the Lord, the, the coffee in the cup starts to go down. And you actually think you're pretty good because at first when you go over a little bump in your life... Because the coffee was filled to the brim, coffee would spill out. And you'd see that. You would know that. And so you're going, okay, I, I got to do better next time. But going through that did purify you a little bit. It got a little bit of the coffee out. And so you go over another bump, it spills out. And you're going, okay, still got to work on that. Lord, forgive me. And so the next little bump comes and coffee doesn't spill out. And you're going, all right, I'm doing pretty good here. So then God will have you go over a bigger bump because now more coffee will come out. And then you get to the point where it's kind of like this. And all the little bumps and things like that, no coffee's coming out. And sometimes you think, man, I've made it. I am so genuine Christ-like. Until, bam, a big trial comes your way. Stuff spills out and you go, oh, wow, Lord, I had no idea that was in there. But God knows. And he wants you to be able to see it so you can understand he's still purifying you. He's still purifying you. 
And so that's what the Holy Spirit does inside of it. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to purify you. And it is like fire has that cleansing agent in you. That completes the Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us next Sunday as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at the 5 p.m. service on Saturday. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station, right across from Starbucks. For more information about us on this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Mm -hmm.